Hi there, my name's Adam Weiser. And I'm Grayson Miller, and we are the hosts of Muddy York. Last summer, an important part of Toronto's history returned after a two-year absence. I'm referring to the Canadian National Exhibition, better known to all of us as the X. Because of COVID, the CNE would be cancelled for only the second time in its history. It was a pretty sad time. I've got like really good memories of the X. I'd go there with my family, sometimes with just my brother. It was some really great core end of summer memories. So it was sad to see it when it closed. Well, I remember going to the X as a child with my family. I still have a couple of stuffed animals that I won at the game stalls, but the CNE's arrival was also bittersweet because it meant we were only a few weeks away from Labor Day and the end of summer vacation. That was a really traumatic time in my childhood. I asked some of my older relatives about their memories of the X, and the first thing that they thought of was the food. Apparently, they used to give out free samples. My aunt remembers getting full-size chocolate bars from the Nielsen's booth in the food building. Today, that would cost you around $12. Tiny Tim Donuts were also mentioned several times. I mean, the food at the X is getting really, really weird. The last time that I saw it, they had um, like ketchup and mustard soft serve ice cream. And I don't know about you, but that's not something that I'd look to eat, but I don't know, is it good? Would you would you eat that? Uh, no, I am not that uh, adventurous uh, with my carnival foods. I still remember the uh, cronuts, uh, part croissant and part donut from a few years ago. Big hit. For our purposes as a history podcast, it's important to remember that the X wasn't always the carnival that we know today. In fact, its origins are in farming and industrialization. Do you know when the X was founded? I feel like I should know this, but I actually, uh, I have no idea. Well, the first official event was in 1879, but its roots go even deeper. Now, starting in 1846, the Provincial Agricultural Fair for Canada West would be held every year. Today, Canada West is better known as Ontario. The first fair was held in Toronto, but it was held in a different location every year, and it became an important economic event for Ontario. Okay, how, wait, how was it an economic event? Well, farmers, manufacturers, and merchants from all over Canada and some parts of the United States would come to display their products and demonstrate the latest technology. This was a trade show as much as a fair, and people came to advertise, sell merchandise, and cut some business deals. The fair was held in Toronto in 1878, and when it was finished, city council suggested that it should be permanently based here. This was definitely an example of Toronto trying to act like the center of the universe right from the get-go. The organizers politely declined and explained that next year's fair had already been awarded to Ottawa. Undeterred, the city decided to organize its own fair, and the first edition of the Toronto Industrial Exhibition would open on September 1st, 1879, on what would become Exhibition Place. The Globe wrote, We are not quite sure that the people, either inside or outside of the city, have yet fully grasped the importance of the exhibition. It is no mere fair got up for the profit of a few speculators. It is the organized effort of the cities, towns, and villages to display to the general public the capabilities of manufacturers and to the citizens the evidences of the enterprise and advancement of the agriculturalists. One of the exhibits in that first year was an office carved entirely of soap. 
The official catalog also mentioned two log huts have been erected by the Society of York Pioneers, which will have no modern improvements but be typical of olden times in Canada. One of those huts was the Scatting Cabin, which had originally been built on the east side of the Don River in 1794. It was donated to the York Pioneers who dismantled the structure before moving it to Exhibition Place. Today, it is the oldest surviving building in Toronto, and as we mentioned in our episode on the Blackburns, the first taxi cab in the history of Toronto is also displayed there as well. So you get a log cabin and a taxi cab. Huh. Find me somewhere else where you get that kind of historical diversity. <laughs> the first fair ran for three weeks and had over 100,000 visitors. The success led the event to become known as the Showcase of the Nation, hmm. where people came to see and experience the latest innovations in technology and commercial products. I mean, I wonder why it was so popular. So many people would come to an industrial exhibition? Well, at the time, it was hard to learn about new technology. You couldn't right. see it on TV or read about it on the internet. A Torontonian from those days would have been fascinated to see the wonders of a changing world. Visitors to the X would see electric trains in 1883 phonographs in 1889, a phonograph was an early record player, radios in 1922, and TVs in 1939. For people who grew up in a world of horse-grown carts, sorry, that was supposed to be horse-drawn carts, this was the stuff of science fiction, and it was definitely worth a trip to the X. So it was kind of like, uh, like those consumer electronic shows that exist today, like one of the earlier versions of that. That's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. This was the first time they did it. During the 1880s, organizers began staging spectacles during the evening. These shows were usually recreations of military battles, and the 1888 show featured a recreation of the Siege of Sevastopol. Did I say that right? Sevastopol. With hundreds... Sevastopol. Sevastopol. Okay. The Siege of Sevastopol, with hundreds of performers and plenty of pyrotechnics. 1888 pyrotechnics must have been probably pretty dangerous, I bet you. For somebody from the 19th century, this was like a live-action Hollywood blockbuster. At some point, the Farm Association of Ontario began sponsoring one of the more unique CNE traditions, butter sculpting. For decades, you could see butter sculptors of just about everything under the sun. The Beatles never played the X, but a butter sculpture of the Fab Four was a major attraction in 1964. You know, seeing the Beatles perform would have been great, but... This was butter than nothing. Gray, I hereby award you the award for greatest pun of this episode. <laughs> wah, wah. The CNE actually tried to revive this tradition in 2015, but it was struck by scandal when it turned out that the new sculptures were just plastic frames with butter scraped over top. Oh my gosh. Some people have no shame. In 1912, the Toronto Industrial Exhibition would become the Canadian National Exhibition, the name by which we all know it today. This coincided with a construction boom as a host of permanent buildings were added to the many tents erected every year for the fair. Construction Magazine wrote that, Toronto has the most beautifully situated and largest exhibition grounds in the world, and incidentally, it may be said, the finest type of permanent exhibition buildings. I should add that we're planning to do a future episode about Exhibition Place and all of the different buildings that have been there over the years, so stay tuned if you'd like to know more about them. By this time, the X had become embedded in the city's calendar. 
families would bring their children year after year to see new things. Some of those things are still around, like the CNE Midway. Some of these events, like the so-called freak shows, would never be allowed today. And some of them were just bonkers, like the 1913 CNE, which featured a demonstration of car polo, which is exactly what it sounds like. For this game, the cars were stripped down to their chassis, leaving two seats over the gas tank, one for the driver and one for the mallet man. I assume this event was very, very safe? Well, the CNE has always been known for caution and safety. Drivers sped and swerved, often flipping, rolling, and crashing into each other, trying to get close enough to the ball for the mallet man standing on the running board to hit it toward the opponent's goal. You can actually find a picture of this event online with two crews trying to frantically fix their overturned cars. World War I began a year later in 1914. What happened to the X? Did it play any role in Canada's war effort? It certainly did. The CNE grounds were converted into a military training base called Exhibition Camp. The 15th Battery of Canadian Field Artillery found itself quartered in the cowsheds and stables where stoves and double-tiered bunks had been hastily installed. The exhibition halls were big enough that soldiers could drill indoors during bad weather, and trainees could fire live ammunition at targets on the lake. On the other hand, Civilians with friends or relatives in camp would often come calling whenever they felt like it. So did this mean the canceling of the CNE? Surprisingly, no. The CNE was held every year of the war because the government saw it as a chance to build public support. During the fair, most of the soldiers would be moved to tents near Niagara-on-the-Lake, but others stayed and were part of the events. Throughout the day, soldiers would conduct marches, drills, and bayonet charges for curious audiences. Visitors could tour trenches dug by the soldiers. There were demonstrations on the lake where model ships would be bombed by planes or sunk by torpedoes. The CNE Midway also included a target-throwing game featuring caricatures of Kaiser Wilhelm, which dared guests to knock out Willy the Warlord's teeth. <laughs> that sounds like a fun game. But okay, so the war's over. How did the CNE develop after World War I? Well, a 1922 article from the Globe described that year's fair. The great appeal of the Midway to the people is not accidental. A walk through the Wortham shows demonstrates that nothing has been left to chance. Every amusement palette has been catered to. There are in all 22 shows, but practically no two are alike. Even the placing of the shows is a matter of carefully selected contrasts. Right at the entrance is the swimming and diving exhibition. Next door is a mechanical village, two attractions as wide apart as the poles. All can get the enjoyment or excitement they craved, whether it is thrills from the daredevil motorcycle riders clinging fly-like to a perpendicular wall while whirling about at a mile a minute, or from the trick-riding and roping exhibition in the Wild West show. In fact, by the mid-twenties, the CNE had grown so popular that a construction plan had to be drawn up to expand exhibition place and add new buildings. The most iconic part of this plan was the Princess Gate that we all passed through to enter the fair. Now, one thing to note is that it is the Prince's Gate, not the Princess Gate, which I thought for a long time. 
It was built to celebrate the 60th anniversary of Confederation, and it was named for Prince Edward, who would become Edward VIII, and Prince George, who would become George VI. On August 30th, 1927, the two royal princes cut the ribbons to officially open the gates that so many of us recognize as a symbol of the X. So, it's the end of the 20s, and all parties must come to an end. How did the Wall Street crash and the Great Depression affect the CNE? Well, the 1930s saw lots of changes for Canada and the world at large. People were struggling to make ends meet, and unemployment was at record highs. But at the same time, pop culture exploded in popularity during that same decade. This is because people would use whatever little money they had to escape from the grim realities of life during the Depression. Pictures from the 1930s show how popular the fair remained, complete with grandstand events, parades, ballroom dancing, competitions, performances by famous entertainers, animal displays, and rides on the midway. Okay, so all in all, the 1930s didn't threaten the X? Exactly. The CNE continued to thrive and hundreds of thousands of people continued to visit every year. In 1937, Conklin Shows was awarded the contract to provide all of the games and rides for the CNE. Conklin is a Canadian company and one of the biggest traveling amusement companies in the world. If you've been to a Canadian fair, the rides were probably supplied by Conklin. Patty Conklin created the modern CNE Midway and the CNE contract became the jewel in his business empire. He said, This business is a combination of hokum, salesmanship, and sex. Most of the rides throw the girl against the fellow. I believe in helping the natural instincts. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, we went through the 20s, we went through the 30s. The next big thing that must have happened to the CNE was World War II. Did the ground serve as a military base like in World War I? They did. After the war began, the Air Force moved into the Coliseum, the Army took over the Horse Palace, and the Navy moved into the Automotive Building. In 1940 and 41, the soldiers were relocated for the CNE, just like World War I. However, that would change. In the spring of 1942, the CNE agreed to turn Exhibition Place over to the military for year-round use. Virtually every building, large or small, would be put to use by the armed forces. The CNE would not be held from 1942 to 1946. Until the COVID pandemic, this was the only time that the CNE had ever been canceled. Thankfully, once the war was over, the fair resumed in 1947 with a record 3 million visitors. 1947 was also noteworthy for a short produced by the National Film Board called Johnny at the Fair. The film follows the adventure of Johnny, a four-year-old who wanders away from his parents and explores the fair, meeting celebrities like the Prime Minister, boxing champion Joe Louis, and Olympic figure skater Barbara Ann Scott. Johnny at the Fair would gain new fame in the 90s when it appeared on the Mystery Science Theater 3000, which, even though I was definitely around in the 90s, I didn't see that. Did you ever see it? I did. Oh, okay. I'm just more cultured than you. Hmm. Yes. I totally tell that. <laughs> With the baby boom, the 50s and 60s were a hugely successful time for the X. In 1954, the CNE created a challenge to see who could become the first person to swim across Lake Ontario. 
and a 16-year-old local girl named Marilyn Bell succeeded after being in the water for a minute shy of 21 hours. She became a national celebrity and the CNE awarded her a $10,000 prize, worth more than $100,000 today. Two years later, the Canadian International Air Show became a part of the CNE and it remains a highlight of the Labor Day weekend. And a nuisance to everybody that owns condos in that area. The, si the 60s saw the introduction of one of the otter CNE events, the Mayor's Bathtub Derby. Guys, this is a real thing. The organizers managed to convince the mayors from around the GTA to race around Lake Ontario in modified bathtubs. Outfitted with a six-power, six-horsepower outboard motor, the tubs could plow through the water at upwards of 20 miles per hour. They even created a trophy for the winning mayor. This quirky event was a staple at the X from the 60s all the way to the 80s. In 1968, the X would be allowed to be open on Sunday for the first time in its history. This is just a reminder that this used to be Toronto the Good, a prim Puritan city that tried to ban residents from defiling the Lord's Day with petty amusements. In 1980, a CNE concert would turn into a riot after 13,000 stone metalheads smashed up the bandstand and ransacked assorted buildings on the midway when it was announced that headliner Alice Cooper wouldn't appear. As far as the city was concerned, this was just further proof that heavy metal was evil and satanic. On the other side, Ooh. buttons reading, you're a riot, Alice, were very popular that fall. <laughs> the CNE does have a rich history. Wow. It certainly does. Unfortunately, it made history again in 2020 and 21, when the CNE had to be canceled for only the second time because of the COVID pandemic. However, it returned last year and welcomed 1.5 million visitors. According to Carnival Warehouse, this made it the fifth most popular fair in North America. Oh, Carnival Warehouse. Is that something you subscribe to? Uh, something I found. <laughs> I wonder if they've got like a weekly magazine. The CNE is a place synonymous with Toronto history, which has seen movie stars and royalty. There are concerts, competitions, a display of new inventions, and yes, it even has a deep fried Mars bar. But I think what I like most about the X is that you can ask any Torontonian, regardless of age, about their memories of the X, and they will almost certainly be happy ones. Ones of joys and amusement and family and community. It is this legacy and its continual ability to bring people together that makes the X the iconic Toronto event that it is. I'm so looking forward to visiting again this year. I hope you guys do too. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at Toronto underscore history at outlook.com you can follow us on twitter at toronto underscore history or you can check out our facebook page at facebook.com slash muddy york history all one word if you like what you hear subscribe leave reviews leave a rating tell your friends tell your priest tell anyone thanks for listening and we'll be back next week <laughs>